Welcome to the Crone of Temple, Texas. This podcast is for all of you out there who are also wrestling with some questions about church tradition, church doctrine, among other things. This is something that Barbara Wenland has been writing about for over 30 years. According to Barbara, the church is outdated and in need of a serious overhaul, both in its practice as well as its beliefs. In this episode, Barbara addresses the technicalities that people get wrapped up in when it comes to communion. Ultimately, what really matters when it comes to communion? Is what's most important how communion is taken, the technicalities of it, or is there more to this Christian tradition? If you're new to this podcast, Barbara Wenland reads excerpts from her collections of writings, and we follow it up with a brief discussion on the topic. Here's Barbara Wenland. A Connections article I wrote some time ago about communion brought an unusual number of responses. Almost all of them were enthusiastic. Several readers said they liked the whole issue so well that they made copies and distributed them to church groups they were in. In that article, I wrote about my most memorable experiences of communion on three very different occasions. The three were these. First, alone at home one day, immersed in a book written by a kindred spirit whose words had greatly expanded my view of God and heightened my awareness of God's presence. My bread and wine were a cracker from the pantry and a glass of orange juice from the refrigerator. Next, at a restaurant one night after an evening worship service with three lay women friends. We had met and become friends in a life-changing two-year program that was soon to end. Our communion elements were wine, coffee, and dessert and no one recited a ritual, but we were fully aware that we were observing communion together. The third experience was high up in the balcony of a huge barn-like convention center at an event attended by several thousand Methodists. Servers were stationed all over the main floor and balcony, and we took communion standing in the nearest aisle. None of these experiences was in a church building. I didn't kneel at any altar. On one of the occasions, no one else was physically present. On two, no clergy person was present, and the traditional words bread and grape juice or wine were missing. Yet for me, these experiences, more than the hundreds of times when I've taken communion in traditional settings, were true communion. I think God was present in all of them. What do you think? When has communion meant most to you? What makes communion communion? The reader who wrote to me about the issue of connections in which I had described these three experiences objected to my calling these personal experiences communion. He wrote, of the three significant spiritual experiences you listed, only one would qualify as communion. The others, he said, in which no clergy person officiated 
and the standard words were not spoken were not, in the technical sense, communion. Jesus was not prescribing a method. I doubt that the technical sense matters to God. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, I don't think he was defining a precise method for us to follow. We don't know the exact words he said, and they were in a language we don't speak, so their basic intent is all we can hope to duplicate. He evidently used the ordinary food and drink that happened to be available in an ordinary room. And he often berated groups like the scribes and Pharisees for emphasizing procedural technicalities instead of intentions. Christian tradition includes a wide variety of religious practices, and there's no reason to see tradition as a universal or perpetual rule. So although we need some consistency in how we present communion in our worship services, I don't think God cares whether our individual experiences qualify as communion in what anyone else defines as the technical sense. Barbara, it seems to me that many people look at the Bible almost exclusively as a prescription on how religion must be practiced. So that is one of the things that Jesus challenged most, right? Yes, evidently so. And in reading the Bible, we don't have exact words, for example, that Jesus used anywhere. There was no one present taking notes when he spoke. And so the words that we happen to read in the Bible... I think we have to assume are kind of a general, give us kind of a general impression of what he said and what he meant. So, and there's, there's several, um, there are several things that were considered rules in the time that he lived, like people put together rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath, and yet Jesus didn't adhere to those rules. He didn't obey them all. So evidently, the details of some of the rules that people came up with, supposedly based on his teaching or based later on Scripture, didn't seem to be that important to him. So what if we were to take a step back, what was it about those three very different experiences that somehow carried a deeper meaning than doing the, the religious uh, rituals on a Sunday morning? Well, I think partly it was the fact that they were different. They were not just—they didn't consist of just having some words— recited that were words I heard over and over for years. I think that may be helpful to some people to always hear the same words and have that familiarity of hearing them. But to me, always hearing the same words like that in church 
causes me and I, I suspect it causes other people to sort of tune out what the meaning is. We just sort of automatically hear those words that we've heard a jillion times before, and we don't give that much thought to what they really are saying. Whereas if the point, the intention of communion is stated in a different way or simply left to our understanding, I think we give it more thought or we're likely to give it more thought than if we just hear some familiar words parroted every time we go to church. And so when you read the biblical account of communion, you don't read that thinking that Jesus is prescribing a technical ritual that needs to be followed. No, I don't think that at all. And we get different impressions of of what was happening when he said that, and I mean, when that um, observance occurred, presumably in what we now call the upper room, um, for example, there's a very familiar painting of Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper that shows them all spread out along a long table, and that's one person's impression of the event, and yet we have no way of knowing, and I would suspect no reason to think that that's the physical way all the disciples were arranged when that event occurred. I would I suspect that they were sitting more casually scattered around a room at different tables or who knows what. So um, I think we don't have any any way of knowing exactly what the details of his observance of that first event that we now call communion, uh, what his what the details of his observance were. And so it doesn't make sense to me to feel like we have to observe a certain set of practices or ways of observing communion in order to be consistent with what Jesus did or said. And neither do we have a reason to believe that it was only the 12 sitting there. Oh, absolutely. It may have been a larger group or who knows what. And and we know, for example, that there were some women included among his closest followers. They may have been present when this event happened the first time. So really to to think of him sitting at a table with all the uh, familiar 12 disciples lined up beside him, um, it's. I think that's misleading as a way to look at what happened. So let's take a step back because we can both agree that in most Christian organizations or Christian traditions, communion is a central teaching. How has something as central as this, something that is about bringing people together, Uh, causing a point of controversy and disagreement. It it seems as if many have missed the point. 
Well, I think it's causing disagreement, partly because different church denominations, even different church congregations, have slightly different ways of observing communion. And if you're a longtime churchgoer, it's really easy to kind of assume that the way you're most familiar with is the way of doing it and and to assume that some of the methods like in other denominations or other congregations are not correct for example in the anglican church and i believe in catholic churches they use wine in communion, whereas Methodist churches use grape juice. And I don't know, I've heard that that was because at some point, way back in Methodist history, Mr. Welch was a member of a Methodist church, but I don't know if that's true or not. (laughs) Anyway, for whatever reason, Methodists use grape juice, whereas some other denominations use wine. And... Um, so we can look at that and, and think, well, those others are doing it wrong if they're not doing what our method is. And it's easy to have a lot of uh, confusion about that, or at least even conflict about it, if we get really attached to the method and not to the meaning So in your opinion, what ultimately is the focus of communion then? It seems to me that its real focus is God. It is reminding us in some sense that we're in the presence of God. And it also focuses on community, that we are in the presence of other people observing this ritual, this sacrament, with us. And that may be understood as the people who are physically present in our own congregation on that morning, or it can mean a wider group, and and that's a matter of disagreement sometimes, whether the wider group can be um, people online or Uh, in some other location, but somehow there's still that focus on, on community and on our being part of a community when we observe communion. So it seems of of all the examples you've given, it seems that most of the uh, disagreements have to do with technicalities. Yes, I think so. And that seems really pointless and really unfortunate to me. I think it puts the focus on the wrong thing. I know in my congregation, uh, well, in both the congregations that I was in during my entire life for a long time, we used those little manufactured wafer things that always kind of reminded me of fish food as a bread. And we had the grape juice in little individual glasses that 
sat in a tray that was passed around the along the communion rail to the people taking communion. And when suddenly in my congregation several years ago, we had a pastor who started, had us to start using actual loaves of bread. And that that just really upset some people in the congregation because it was such a change. And I know also um, I've been in groups that use the method called intinction, where you everyone is given a piece of, of bread, usually actually plucked from a loaf, and then you dip it into the wine or grape juice rather than having them in individual cups. And um, the idea of that, uh, I've, I've seen people get very perturbed by when that's not what they were used to. And there's all kinds of little differences like that that happen in just the ways that people take communion during uh, worship services. Uh, sometimes it's uh, that everybody walks down to the altar one after the other. Other times the tray of the trays of bread and wine are passed through the seating area, and you just take a piece as it comes along. And so, uh, to me, all those things really seem immaterial. If I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, you understand that there are differences and preferences that people have. And and while you may, you know, critique those for various reasons, the main thing that you uh, seem to be addressing is the fact that people try to impose their beliefs on other people or their traditions on other people and say unless you do it my way, you're not doing it the correct way. Yes, yes, I think that's true. At least that's what I see happening quite often in the church. And to me, that's missing the point. From what I understand, communion is obviously between an individual and God, but it's also between an individual within the context of their faith community, right? Well, it doesn't happen to be it doesn't have to be their specific personal faith community in the sense of their church congregation. It can simply be with any kind of group that acknowledges the fact that our faith community is all Christians everywhere are all people everywhere. So I think it really narrows down the understanding of communion to think that it has to be taken with your particular group. So another thing that people often disagree uh, over when it comes to communion is who is uh, officially able to administer it. You know, there's a lot of controversy over that. Yes. And that has never really made that much sense to me. That all that has to do with a lot of general aspects of 
the difference between lay and clergy and what clergy are are properly um, allowed to do and required to do and I don't I don't see that seems to me like just one more technicality to say that a clergy person has to administer communion and the thing is we go about that in in strange ways that that really do just sort of represent the the technicalities of it rather than anything that that makes a lot of sense for example uh, quite often, at least in larger churches, several lay people are enlisted to help with serving communion, and there will be a, a pastor of the church who is sort of the head person officiating, but then a number of lay people are actually carrying the communion elements along the altar and passing them out to people. And so that's, I don't know, that's saying, in effect, that a clergy person is administering it, meaning that clergy person is standing there at the center while lay people actually do the distribution of the elements. And um, we, we do something similar to that when we send communion to someone who's in the hospital, for example, quite often the a lay person from the congregation will actually take the communion elements to the person in the hospital, but presumably those elements have been blessed or officially sent out by the clergy. And yet the clergy person isn't present for the actual administration of the communion to the person in the hospital. It's just a a formality, a technicality to say, well, a clergy person administered this. It seems to me that what really matters about communion is God, is being aware of God's presence in that service of communion, receiving God's gifts, thankfully, coming before God as responsible individuals within the faith community that God brings together, looking honestly at ourselves and recommitting our lives in response to God's call. These aspects of communion, in my opinion, are the ones that matter. When we're clear on that, methods of taking communion no longer look important. Details about where we are, who is with us, how we go to the altar, when or whether we kneel, and the form of the bread and wine are minor. What really counts is letting communion be a time for seeing God and responding to God with our whole selves and our lives as members of the timeless worldwide Christian community of faith. Wow. I couldn't have said it better myself, Barbara. 
Thank you for sharing with us not only your perspective on the subject, uh, but also some of those profoundly spiritual moments from your, your life that seem to have stuck with you much more strongly than the decades of communion services through your church. If you're someone who wrestles with topics such as communion or others, please reach out to Barbara. She loves to hear from her audience and to engage in conversations about these matters. Please follow her on social media and visit her website at connectionsonline.org to read her entire catalog on many topics. You can also contact her through her website. Thank you for listening to the Crone of Temple, Texas.